Hello, and welcome to Interdependent Study, our podcast where we engage in the learning and unlearning work for social justice and collective liberation. I'm Aaron. And I'm Damian. Thank you so much for joining us today. For those new to our podcast, Interdependent Study is meant to be a space and community for folks who believe in and want to do the work of social justice. Each week, we'll bring something new to the table and discuss our thoughts and feelings about it through the lenses of who we are and where we can go for a more just society. We want Interdependent Study to be a space where we're always learning with one another. Uh, Damien, you're up this week. So what are you bringing to the table today? I am. So today I've brought a documentary to the table for us called MLK FBI. There's a slash in the middle there if you need it. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe it came out last year, back in 2020, and it is out right now on Hulu. uh, If you folks listening want to check it out. And I highly recommend that you do because I, I think it was a really fascinating documentary, right? Yes, um, absolutely. It, I think it was really well done. And mm-hmm. I think above all else, it was really enlightening in terms of some of the learning uh, that, that I did, uh, but some of the things that they you know talked about um, and, and the understanding of what the FBI and, and what our government has done. And I think also the lengths to which our government will go uh, even against its own citizens. Yeah. Um, and so as a, like a very brief summary of it, the, the MLK FBI documentary um, exposes this, this tremendous amount of surveillance that the FBI did from the early 1960s uh, through Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination in 1968 um, on both MLK and also many of his comrades. Yeah. Um, and the documentary also sort of outlines the significant campaign, if you will, that the FBI engaged in to discredit MLK and his work and you know all of the work that he was doing um, for civil rights in this country. Um, and spoiler alert, it was wild. Uh, (laughs) So much. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot I'm sure that we can talk about with this documentary where, uh, where do you want to start? Like what stood out to you? Yeah, this was, um, really disturbing, Mm. I think. Um, because the documentary just lays out how obsessed J Edgar Hoover, uh, who was the director of the FBI for, the first 42 years of its existence or something. Um, And just how obsessed he was with discrediting Dr. King throughout his life and how that obsession was not really just about King either, Mm. but like, as you said, his comrades in this whole movement um, and trying to really discredit that um, as much as he could. Um, And so they really seem to have been tracking nearly anyone who ever publicly expressed support for the civil rights movement um, and have files on like so many people who might not have even been like, quote unquote, leaders um, in anything. But they they were still tracking them and keeping files on them and paying attention to who was showing up to stuff. So, um, yeah, it's just the um, the amount of surveillance behind it all is is staggering, I think. but I really, I like you said, I really appreciate how the documentary was done. There's a lot of really interesting choices that I think they made in how they um, laid out the story that yep. is here um, of, you know, Dr. King's organizing and activism and how the FBI was basically right there the entire way through up until his death. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this documentary is um, super informative and very 
eye-opening and and disturbing. Yeah, those are good words for it. I mean, I, I think one of the things I appreciated about the documentary was, you know, the way in which it specifically talked about J. Edgar Hoover. Like, mm-hmm. it really exposed what he was all about, what he stood for, and and the the key role he played in all of this and in establishing what the FBI was and what it did and sort of how it operated, right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it was it was fascinating. And as you said, I think disturbing is a great word for it, um, for sure. You know, I think we see in this documentary, and, and, and we've also learned about this in other places, right, just how troublesome J. Edgar Hoover's efforts were um, in terms of a lot of just un- unquestionable abuses of power um, and and this surveillance work of, of activists like MLK. Um, and, and I think with that, I think one of the other things this documentary did was sort of twofold in my mind. I think it really forced us to like take a closer look at what all of that meant in practice um, and, and in the day-to-day for both the government and for folks like MLK and his comrades. Yep. Um, and it made us take sort of this sort of uh, higher level view, right? Take a step back and look at sort of this bigger picture and impact of of this work when it comes to, to the fight for social justice, right? Like, so I think mm-hmm. in, on one hand, we see practically what that means, uh, what that meant was things like harassment and wiretaps and mm-hmm. bugs mm-hmm. Um, and, and the arrests that happened, um, you know, but then from a broader perspective, we see a real fear, Um on the part of the government, right? And this organizing and activism work that's happening, the movement work that you talked about, right? right. And we see just how critical um, our government was of the civil rights movement and how resistant it uh, seemingly was um, in this work for social justice. Yeah, there was a lot of resistance that they show throughout um, from the FBI. And you said like the way that Jagger Hoover kind of shaped the FBI in his own um, image and kind of expectations yeah. and um, they talk about in the documentary how the there's this um, uh, this is old kind of idiom um, from I think the 50s and 60s and maybe the 70s too that's like oh he looks like a g-man oh which was, yeah right? um, and yeah. so that was a, that. like a six foot something um, white guy who's a little stocky but kind of fit and like um, and conservative and you know all these things and so just how the the way that he shaped what the fbi is um also like i think demonstrates and shows how that um sort of uh obstacle the obstacles that they put up to that movement work um throughout like it's tied deeply into the way that he thought about what the country should be Mm -hmm. um, which is reflected in how he thought the fbi should be built and what it should represent yeah um and, you know, there's there is a lot here, and one of the things that also I think jumped out in it it's um, the letter that F the, that the FBI sent to King, um, oh, right, yeah. which uh, you know suggests kind of indirectly that he kill himself, um, and that's so that's something I'd seen before, and I think it's maybe fairly well known, fairly I would um, say, yeah. But having it kind of situated in the full context and the story of this documentary yes. and how they've been spying on him with wiretaps and and bugs in hotel rooms where they were working with um, people who are friendly to FBI agents at like the Willard Hotel in mm-hmm. D.C. Um, to be like, well, this is going to be MLK's room. We're going to bug it um, so that we can record whatever's going on there. Um, you know, seeing this letter in the full context of all that they were doing is just even more 
wild. Yes. Um, and I think kind of like what I was alluding to, like this points to the FBI's fear of black empowerment. Yes, absolutely. Right? Whether it's within the confines of official U.S. government stuff, like through laws, they talk about how um, MLK is actually quoted in an interview about how reticent that the FBI seems to be in kind of like enforcing civil rights laws. Yeah. Um, after they pass, you know, and then through to the more grassroots and kind of revolutionary stuff there, just this fear of black empowerment. Um, and you know, um, J. Edgar Hoover, they say, um, he had this thing he would regular, regularly say that he was afraid of a black Messiah. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, given the context of Hoover and kind of what I shared about the FBI agents that he chose and how he shaped the the agency, um, it kind of makes it clear that he was a fairly strident white supremacist, mm-hmm. even, you know, maybe not how we would label like a white supremacist, like a Klansman. Yeah. But, you know, that's what his vision was, was, was this sort of white um, state and continuing the... the to uphold the current power structures in the U.S. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the letter itself, uh, as you said, I think it's sort of fairly well known, like, but that, you know, the letter itself is absolutely like disturbing and just disgusting. Like, and they actually like sort of spell yeah. it out and show us what's in it. Um, so, right. Like on its own, that's bad. And, but then, like you said, in the context of all of this surveillance and harassment that they're doing, um, it really is just wild to see. Um, yeah. And, and I think all of that really speaks to some of the, the work that the documentary does to expose the mindset um, mm-hmm. of these folks, particularly like J. Edgar Hoover. Um, and, and I agree. I think he, I think he absolutely, um, I think there's white supremacist uh, supremacy there um, and that these sort of ideals were deeply embedded in him, in that, uh, that agency right mm-hmm. and sort of you know the government's efforts here so yeah i appreciate that point um and and think it's valid um you know and it it makes me actually think about one of the other things that i thought was really fascinating um in this documentary and that was where they talked about and you just alluded to this right like the kind of person that fbi that the yeah. fbi and hoover looked for right like they were really looking for these g-men right as, mm-hmm. as they were called right and they wanted folks to be excited about um being a part of that, right? There was a, a, a scene of this little boy. It looked like they were maybe at the White House, a bunch of kids. Um, and he stood up and he said, I want to be a G-man, right? Yeah. Like, And so those sort of recruitment videos and tactics. Um, and like, as you said, right, they recruited, you know, relatively conservative white men um, mm-hmm. who had these like similar physical characteristics. And the, the other sort of interesting tidbit was that Hoover, I guess, particularly really liked fraternity men and mm-hmm. football players. Um, so, you know, take that for what it's worth as well. And so, you know, I, th- I think to me that goes back to our conversation about, you know, white supremacist ideals being sort of embedded in the work of the government um, in in this case in particular, as it relates to the surveillance of MLK and 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 the civil rights movement um, and the folks involved in that with him, um, but we see how you know that manifested itself even down to the sort of on the ground agents uh, yep. that they recruited um, and sort of what that meant in terms of the agency's capacity to do its work um, and what it's you know um, attempted to do. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think there's. Yeah, like you said, and I, you know, not to repeat myself really, but 
the way that I think he set up the the agency just kind of reveals a lot about what he thought the agency should be about and and everything and, and yeah. how much that was reflected in you know maintaining whiteness as a power structure yeah um you know one of the other things that stuck out to me is um again sort of sitting in my own um understanding of history of this time right okay. and we have these presidents um kennedy and johnson um, who appeared to be publicly supportive of King, um, which is also historically like my understanding of those events. Yeah. Um, but they also presided over this FBI agency that was spying on him pretty aggressively mm -hmm. based on some flimsy evidence about him being a communist because he had a, an advisor who had been associated with the communist party in the thirties or forties or something. Yep. Um, and it's so, yeah. So it's so interesting to see that kind of historical reputation kind of be torn down a little bit because you see the things that they did based on tapes and yeah. right. Like, like letters. So it's, there's, it's, um, it's, it's first person, historical documents um, that that demonstrate that. Um, but I think this is also one of the reasons why so many kind of like organizers or activists are constantly suspicious of mm -hmm. presidential administrations and electoral politics kind of at large. Yeah. Um, is because of some of the stuff like this, yeah. right? Like where it's, you know, Johnson is calling up MLK and having sort of semi-casual chats with him. Those are those the audio recordings of those show up um, in the documentary. Um, you know, JFK invited MLK to the White House. MLK was at the White House when Johnson signed the um, Civil Rights Act. Um, but you know, so publicly they're kind of like in support, absolutely. But then also encouraging or at least signing off on this kind of clandestine espionage of a U.S. citizen. Yeah who is engaged in this, uh, you know, civil rights movement work and, right. you know, trying to bring light to uh, sort of the injustices that are happening in our, in our country. Yeah. Those are really great points. You know, mm -hmm. I, and I, I think I especially appreciate what you say about presidents because I think we generally as a society desire to think highly of the office of the president yeah. and who sits in it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, generally, uh, you know, but none of our presidents have been perfect and, and many, if not all of them have done some not so great things during their tenure. Um, and so that was definitely an important element of this documentary for us to see sort of, and, and acknowledge, right. This sort of like public facing, um, work that they were both doing. Mm -hmm. Um, but still, as you, as you say, like we're complicit, you know, and, and literally signed off on, um, this espionage work. So yeah, that was a, a fascinating sort of um, element of the documentary. Um, you know, one of the other things that uh, stood out to me that I wanted to mention where there were some scenes in like the middle part. I don't know if it was quite the middle uh, section of the documentary um, that I think highlight actually when I think about it, the, the impact of these presidents signing off on this, as you said. Um, mm -hmm. And I think, of course, as we've mentioned, like the impact of the FBI's efforts and, and Hoover's efforts to dismantle MLK's character and his his work, you know, and, and so there are these scenes 
of street interviews of Americans, both white and black, um, where they're asked for their thoughts and feelings about MLK. Um, and then the documentary also sort of later talks about this opinion poll that had questions on it about how Americans favored Hoover, uh, the FBI, and MLK. And, you know, through all of that, we sort of see just how polarized the country was as it related to MLK. And I think so much of that was impacted by this surveillance work, right, um, of the yep. FBI and the sort of s- character assassination and smear campaign work that they did um, uh, around MLK, right? Yeah, absolutely. There was um, one of the things that stood out, stood out to me, too, around this kind of history around the perceptions um, of all these folks um, during this time was that um, Hoover was wildly popular yeah, um, across the country at a time when MLK wasn't. And so there was some like sort of public back and forth between the two um, at one point. And, you know, it sounds uh, in our 2020 to our 2021 minds, it sounds uh wild to think about it this way but mlk was the one who was not highly thought of at all yeah and hoover was a hero yeah um literally that hero i think was the word that was used yeah yeah and so it's um yeah i think all of the work that they were able to do um in the background i think to to make that a reality in that moment ultimately i think probably undid their like historical reputation long term too right like Mm. There's a lot of other things that Jagger Hoover did that are, are also questionable to, you know, downright terrible. Yep. Um, but this, I think, is one of the things that really probably undid his kind of like um, place in history as a uh, somebody who established this this department. Yeah. Right. Um, and I, another piece of this is this element of the documentary that's this thread throughout. Okay. Um, is this archival footage of old films uh, that show the FBI in this like really positive yes, light. And yes. it's like sort of like propaganda almost. Um, and so it's so interesting to think about and see how movies shaped our perceptions and favorability of the FBI. Yeah. And probably by extension too, like J.R. Hoover, like I was talking about um, in that time. And it's also interesting to think about how that continues through to today. Yeah. Right. Color of Change, um, the organization released a report a few years ago called Normalizing Injustice, which highlights how our perceptions about crime uh, and law enforcement officers and and departments and stuff are generally misconceptions and how much they're shaped by TV and movies, right? So you think about Law & Order SVU as one that is, that's a TV show that is wildly popular. Yes. Um, And how much of that show the two main detectives are kind of going outside of what they should be doing to try to solve a crime because they know better. Um, Uh And so like, that's just one example that is in that, in that report um, that I I read a while ago. Now I should revisit it. But um, yeah, so that kind of positive light on the FBI back then and this archival footage and, and, you know, fictional, um, sketches or clips or movies. I'm not sure what it was because they were very small pieces of of the documentary um but that that kind of those kinds of perceptions are still being created in our minds today by sort of similar kind of media yeah sort of our current you know popular culture uh tv shows and movies yeah yeah Mm -hmm. i i don't know that i recognized many of the the sort of 
old films that were represented there. I mean, they no. they showed us these little clips and they had titles of them. And, and at this point right now, I can't recall any of the titles of them, but I don't know that I've seen them. Many of them are black and white. Many of them are sort of, you know, you can tell that they are uh, old films. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, they show us enough of each of them to sort of give us a glimpse of how, um, you know, that it really is trying to shed this F the show shed the FBI in a positive light. And yeah, it's fascinating. And I, I really appreciate that connection to like things like law and order SVU and, and these shows that we see. I mean that, yeah, that normalizing injustice report by color change is really good. If you haven't checked it out, you know, uh, the, this genre is the country's most popular genre mm-hmm. um, in TV shows and movies, you mm-hmm. know, right now in our present day. And so, you know, and we know the role that TV and movies and pop culture play in our society. So um, it's it's definitely worth checking out if you haven't. Um, but yeah, it was fascinating to sort of watch those clips, right? And to think about the connections to, to um, what's on our TVs right now, if you turn them on. So yep. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's shift gears and talk a little bit about application. Um, You know, we've talked at length, I think, about how this documentary really exposed the FBI's efforts. And I mentioned earlier that I thought it did a really good job in forcing us to take both this like close look and a broad view of those efforts. And, you know, uh, to be honest, that gave me some real pause um, and reminded me, I think, of just how justified we are as a society um, and how we should be um, in terms of being critical of our government, uh, right? Um, And so I think one, I think that's one piece of application um, and something to take away from this documentary. Um, I think related to that uh, is this other piece of application that's sort of in my mind um, uh, is that there's no doubt that it's difficult to sort of see and hear and learn about the efforts of our government to surveil and harass, you know, these activists, um, especially when it's juxtaposed, as you mentioned, with great things like the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 or the Voting Rights Act of 1965, right? Like we're we're watching this sort of these underhanded, you know, um, really just deplorable sort of things that our government is doing. Um, but as you'd mentioned, sort of the public, you know, the things we see on the public side, right? We, it, we got the civil rights act, we got the voting rights act. Um, but that were all just reminded me of like some of the things we've talked about here on the podcast, right? Through some of the various media that we've brought to the table. You know, I think it's important to always think about and understand just how complex these situations are and this work is, right? Mm. How important it is to understand something like critical race theory, what it actually is, um, and the role that racism plays in our laws and our systems and our institutions. Um, you know, and and again, how important it is to understand the fact that things like white supremacy and anti-blackness are just embedded in this country's fabric, right? And what mm-hmm. all of that means in terms of our ability and inabilities uh, as they relate to our collective work and, and in this fight for, for social justice. Yes, absolutely. All that's really good application work and thinking about how all this stuff is tied together. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that I have been thinking about a little bit that I, in a moment of full transparency need to read more about. Okay. Um, is this Pegasus spyware that's in the news? Mm. Um, so it's tied to a variety of government agencies across the world, spying on journalists through smartphones and, and secretly installing spyware on those 
smartphones through phishing tactics and broad brush strokes. Yeah. That's, how, that's my understanding of it. Um, and um, so, you know, government surveillance is already happening in a lot of, is continuing to happen in a lot of different ways. Um, and we can also see this like the NYPD. Um, there's a report of, of them spying on mosques recently in the wake of sort of 9-11 um, in the assumption that terrorist activity was being organized at, at mosques. Yeah. Um, and just a, a load of other examples that this is something that's still happening, right? Like another example is U.S. Marshals used drones to observe Black Lives Matter protests in a bunch of cities last summer, uh, a yeah. bunch yeah. Um, across the country. Um, and then law enforcement, you know, through all of its tentacles are spying on people who they deem dangerous or suspect of possibly becoming dangerous. Yeah. Um, and that when you think about like putting it in a context of somebody like J. Edgar Hoover, mm -hmm. what is considered dangerous to one person you know, isn't at all dangerous in reality, right? right? Like, yep. um, you know, to deem Martin Luther King Jr. dangerous is a stretch yes. by a long shot yes. in terms of violence because that was not, right? He was explicitly nonviolent. Non yeah. There are entire, we've talked about it on the show, yeah. there are entire like people and institutes based on his sort of philosophies around nonviolence that have been sort of, um, fleshed out and expanded upon. So to claim that he is a, th a threat and dangerous um, is a wild mischaracterization of who he is and what he's about. And so if somebody like J. Edgar Hoover can do that to somebody like Martin Luther King Jr., right, mm -hmm. that can also happen on a local level with somebody in uh, an agency, a local law enforcement agency, deciding that somebody locally is also dangerous and decide to spy on them. Absolutely. With all the, all the kinds of tentacles that they, that they have. And, you know, also through our smartphones and through technology and through a lot of what we share, um, there's a lot that is already publicly available yes. on the internet, right? Like there's a lot about me that's publicly available on the internet, just as an example, not that I'm somebody who I, you know, I think is being targeted by anything, but, um, that is right. Like we share a lot. Yes. And so there's a lot more publicly available that, um, 30 years ago just wasn't right. Well, that just makes me think to your sort of last point there. What makes you think you're not on the list? You know, you think about yeah. like this idea of, you know, the U S Marshall drones at black lives matter protests. We were at one, right. Mm -hmm. You know, you do put a lot of stuff out there on the internet, right. We have this podcast where we're sort of openly talking about mm -hmm. <laughs> our well, thoughts yeah. and opinions about things. And who's to say that's true. I'm not, I'm, I think my I'm point not, wasn't I'm not, that I'm not I'm on not, a list. I'm not calling you MLK or anything yeah, like that. That's, but. I think that was more my, like, <laughs> I don't, I doubt that I have, um, like, the full attention of some kind of group of agents or officers who are, like, listening to every word that I say and yeah. paying attention to all my silly tweets or, or like whatever it might be right right so absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. I, well i think all of that is is great application and a, and a great point right i think it's important to think about it and sort of make connections between what we saw in this documentary to to what is happening 
right now in our present day mm-hmm. and to understand that it is happening right now, right? And so yep. what does that mean for us as individuals in our day-to-day lives? Um, and what does that mean in terms of the activism work that we're doing, right? And that our comrades are doing and that folks who are leading these organizations that we, you know, subscribe to, ascribe to, uh, you know, believe in um, are, are doing. So that is incredible application work, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, let's move on to homework now, shall we? Um, I don't know per se if this is homework in the traditional sense. I feel like I've been doing this every week, but it is work and thinking I want to do and I think we all need to do. Um, at the end of the documentary, we learned that the FBI was ordered to turn over all of their surveillance tapes to the National Archives back in 1977 and that the earliest that they can be released is February of 2027. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while that is still quite a few years away, um, the folks featured throughout the documentary spend some good time talking about what that could mean in terms of MLK's legacy. Um, and there's, again, some thinking and reflecting that I want to do as it relates to the release of those tapes and, and what will come of it and what it will mean in terms of our sort of continued work and, and, and fight for, for social justice. Um, and so I don't know if I truly have a f- sort of fully formed thoughts around this yet. And I'm sure you and I will talk about this uh, for sure. But, you know, it's something that we're going to have to reckon with. Like when we get to that point, I, 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 I sort of feel like there's zero doubt that they're not going to release those tapes. Like they're going to, mm-hmm. re- I think they're going to release everything. Um, and so then what does that mean? Um, for his legacy and the work that he's done, um, and what does that mean moving forward? Yeah, yeah, I think that'll that'll be an interesting time when when and if those do get released, yeah. um, just to hear what's on them, um, because the implication in this documentary is that it's pretty salacious in terms of some right. personal uh, relationship choices that that MLK made, right? Um, so I think for so for my homework, I want to extend my kind of surveillance state uh, thought a little bit more, okay, um, and look more into how surveillance is still playing out today um, for activists and organizers, because I think so much of what the FBI did to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and so many other leaders in the civil rights movement is, as I said, you know, just a few minutes ago, being repeated by local, state, and federal law enforcement agencies today. Mm. Um, in a variety of ways through their own increased technology, like right use of drones or yeah. or bots following people on social media and and tracking you know what people post and what people share. Um, but I found a few articles about this that I want to take some time to read um, as well. So that's kind of my homework is looking a little bit more into how this is actually playing out day to day. Yeah. Okay. So you really are worried that they're watching you, huh? That's no, <laughs> that's not, that, that's a yeah, joke. It's, uh, not, about, it's not about me. Uh, no, I appreciate that. You know, I, cause I think, you know, a key element of this documentary was really sort of looking more broadly at the government's efforts to sort of silence dissent, Yes. you know, outside of what it did to MLK. So yeah, that's, that's really great homework. And uh, I hope you share the articles you found and yeah, mm-hmm. let's keep learning about this. Uh, in general. All right, my friend. Well, you're up next week. What Indeed. are you bringing to the table in our next episode? So next week, I'm going to bring a magazine. Um, it was a special movement for Black Lives takeover of a magazine called In These Times. 
Um, so the movement for Black Lives sent out for free to anyone that signed up for it. Um, I think what signed up like last month, the month before. Yeah, I just got it in the ago. week, I th- yeah. in the mail last last week. Um, but there are some really great articles in it, ranging from the GOP's war on protest, uh, which coincidentally is something that we heard MLK say in this documentary was happening in the 60s, is yeah. that the government and and law enforcement and were shutting down people's ability to protest. And so he had this very First Amendment-based argument about why that was um, basically like, you know, anti-American and, yes, and an affront and to everybody's rights. Yes. Right? Um, so, so that's one piece. Uh, another is voter suppression is white supremacy. It must be stopped. So mm. that's another article. Uh, and then there's another article called One Year Later, which is about lessons from Minneapolis and the organizing work wow. that happened yeah. um, there in the wake of the murder of George Floyd. Um, so there's a, a lot of really great stuff in there that I'm looking forward to talking about next week. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know we were sort of both excited to receive that mm-hmm. uh, piece of mail. So I'm definitely looking forward to reading it and, and talking about it with you here next week. Yes. All right. So with that, folks, we want to thank you for joining us today and for listening to Interdependent Study. Uh, you know what we want you to do. But in case you forgot, please follow, leave a rating and review, share our podcast with the people in your life, follow us on social media, uh, sign up for our email list to get notified about new cool happenings uh, and what we've got going on behind the scenes. Uh, and again, thank you so much. Yes, thank you for listening. And remember, it's not about us, but it is about us. And we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>